We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Good evening, everyone. It's good to see you. Hope you've had a good start to your week. I'd ask you to open up to Luke, where Jordan read to us. If you're a visitor here tonight or the very first time that you've come or just come a few times, welcome. I'd love to say hello to you if I haven't yet. Uh, we are glad you're here. It's part of our prayer always uh, for folks that walk in that we uh, are very grateful. We believe that it's God's work in our lives, in your lives, that he brings you to be with us. And so welcome. We're very grateful and thankful that you're here. And I hope you love God's word because that's what we're going to do. We're going to fellowship around the Bible. Jesus, the word of God, that's what changes our lives. And so I'm not up here to entertain you. Uh, couldn't anyway. <laughs> Nothing I could do that could entertain you. So, but I'm sure glad that you're here. And now last week, if you remember, I talked to you about how important your testimony is. Your testimony in someone's life may be the very thing God uses to draw them to salvation. It may not be me preaching or someone else preaching. It may not be a Sunday school teacher. It can be, but it could be your testimony that God uses. Some place that you can go that I can't. Some people that you know that I don't. And so I wanted to really uh, challenge you that your testimony is very important. You may say, I don't have a testimony. If you're a Christian, you do. Our, your testimony is, where'd you come from? What happened in your life when you first got saved? And what's changed since then? That's your testimony. Be ready to give it in two minutes. Be ready to give it to a six-year-old. You know why we ask you to do that? So you keep it simple. You keep it simple because the gospel, although it's the most profound message that wisdom could ever uh, talk about, it is the most simple message too. In fact, that is what a lot of people say. How could I believe in a man who died 2,000 years ago that died on a Roman crucifix? Why do I need a savior? I'm not that bad. I know some other people worse than I am. Uh, why should I believe in a story written down in an old book? And that's the questions that are asked. And I love when people ask those questions because I love to point them back to God's word because this very Bible tells us the, the power to change people's life is in the preaching of the cross. It's in the preaching of the word. It's not in illustrations I may give you. It's not in stories. It's not in you getting emotional tonight. The power that changes people's lives uh, is in the word of God, the proclamation of God's word. And that's why those that get to share God's word, preaching, teaching, sometimes we're the most amazed. People come up to me and say, I just want to tell you how the, those words ministered to me and God really worked in my heart tonight. And, and I, I just rejoice because I, I don't know how. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But he does it through his word. But he also wants us to testify. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the earth say so. We need to be ready to share what has happened in our life. And so in the weeks, uh, next, next few weeks, Lord willing, uh, we're going to walk through a little bit in the gospel of Luke, and uh, we're going to look tonight at the early years. How much do you know about Jesus from the time he was born till he was 12 years old? Now, if you tell me you know a lot, I need to talk to you after the service because I don't know where you got your information. There's nothing recorded in the scripture hardly. We looked at Simeon and Anna who were in the, the uh, temple. Jesus was taken there at eight days old. Uh, obedience to the law. 
He was recognized that, uh, by Simeon that he was the Christ, the Messiah that they've been waiting on. And we don't have anything written in the Gospels for 12 years about Jesus. And so I want to talk with you a little bit in this, this uh, time frame uh, about the early years, the early years. Now, some of you probably have great uh, music that you like to listen to. I like all, let me back up. I like almost all different kinds of music. Uh, I respect people who can sing opera. I respect them for their vocal ability. But I, if I could never heard another opera song, I wouldn't miss it. I'm sorry. It's just not something that appeals to me. But I have great respect for those that have that ability. We all have different songs that we're used to. Recently, I found a radio station, and I, I didn't know it was there. And, and I know all the words to the songs. That hadn't happened in a long time. But music is powerful. God's given music to his church. And uh, there's going to be music in heaven. Thank you, Joel. Does Joel look any different tonight, by the way? Joel and his lovely wife, Lily, we're so thankful you're here. They are married. They just got married a few days ago. Isn't that good? Congratulations. We're very thankful for both of you and look forward to all that the the Lord has ahead for you. Now, last, year, last week, as I talked to you about your testimony, how important, I told you that I was going to pray that God would give you the opportunity to share Christ. I can't have you all come up on the stage, but raise your hand if you got the opportunity to share Jesus with somebody this week. Anybody right there did good, good. You did good. Back there, good. Over here, anybody? If God grants you that opportunity, that is a wonderful privilege to share what Jesus has done in your life. And I want to hear about that. If you'll let me sometime, I want to talk with you about the good things God is doing. In Luke chapter 2, I want to remind you who's writing this book. It is Luke, uh, the beloved physician. He was a doctor. He, as I hope our doctors would be, is methodical. The book of Luke, he is someone who's recording things in a logical, uh, chronological, and a, a clear way. Um, when I, I think about my doctors, I want the doctors I go to that are going to help me to get better if I have an ailment, I want them to have not skipped school. Wouldn't that be good? I want them to have not paid somebody else to take the tests in college for them. I want them to have learned all those things because I want the best care that I can get. Well, when you think about Luke, he is one chosen by God to share the gospel of Luke. And the very first verse in the book says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us. He said a lot of people are writing about Jesus and what's happened. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well. Having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you're, you may know the exact truth about the things you've been taught. So Luke is writing to someone named Theophilus. Uh, ever since I got married 30, almost 35 years ago, if we've had pets, we've had Sam from Siam, our cat. He was a, a Samuel, and he was Samuel Theophilus. 
All of our cats, whether they're male or female, has the middle name Theophilus. I don't know how we started that, but I had Ezekiel Theophilus, and we have right now Lucy Theophilus. Please, I'm sorry, but Lucy is a golden doodle who has taken over our home. We've had her about five months now, and she is the ruler of our household, I want to tell you. But we, I've always loved the name Theophilus. Luke is writing to a friend of his, and he, and he said, I've been very careful. What I'm about to tell you, I've investigated, and I'm going to write it down in order. Aren't you glad there's people like Luke? Because we get to share 2,000 years later in his investigation. Now, in this story of Jesus at 12 years old, because as I told you, from eight days old, in all four of the Gospels, we don't have anything recorded about Jesus until this time in Jerusalem, in the temple, when he was 12. 12 years have passed. I want to remind you, what can we know? We can know Jesus was a big brother. I don't know about you, but I've had the pleasure of having a big brother. I say that tongue-in-cheek. I've had the pleasure some days of having a big brother because I remember when he was bigger than I was, and uh, we suffered a little bit. My, I've all, I'm also a big brother, so I have a younger brother. I learned a lot of things from my older brother, how to treat my younger brother. <laughs> Some of them were good. But Jesus was a big brother. He had brothers and sisters. And although he was sinless, he was perfect, the son of God, he, he had brothers and sisters. And they, they argued, and they, they wrestled, and they... They did what you and I do as siblings. Mary knew some of the things about Jesus. She didn't know everything, as we're going to see in this story here in a moment. But can you imagine Mother Mary there looking at Jesus and saying, you're the Son of God? Uh, you know, you just, got, you just got all muddy out there in that mud hole, and you're supposed to be the Messiah? This isn't what I was thinking. He grew up just like you and I did. And although the scripture doesn't record it for us, we can know uh, that he was tempted. Hebrews does record that, that he, Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I have been tempted, yet without sin. So is it tough growing up today as a young person? It is. Jesus grew up too through all the struggles and the things that pull at you and me. I want to talk with you about that. If you do take notes, I would encourage you to do this because I'll do it quickly. We have communion tonight, and it's a wonderful time to take communion. But if you want to see the picture of discipleship, when I've taught on this before or preached on it, 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 it is like it just almost jumps off the page to me, uh, the picture of what Jesus did that day. And this story is about him, but how it can apply to us as, how, as we grow in Christ. Uh, let me tell you two different things theologically. In Philippians chapter 2, we study something called the kenosis. And that's just a fancy Greek word that talks about emptying. Jesus emptied himself of his deity and his divine power as far as his choosing to use it very often. Now, that does not mean Jesus gave up his deity, his godness. He just chose to not use it. You remember when he was tempted by the devil? The devil said he hadn't eaten in 40 days and 40 nights. He said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Jesus could have done that. Just like he healed the blind man and he raised the dead and 
He, he walked on the water and he did all those other miracles. But the kenosis is that the Son of God emptied himself and didn't avail himself of his deity and his miraculous power except in miracles for other people. Uh, he could have done things for himself, but he didn't do that. So when you hear about that, Jesus came to live in this world like you and I do. He didn't choose to have, well, I'm going to not sin, but I've got an extra power to do that. And, and so, sorry about you guys. No, he didn't avail himself often. And you can find that in Philippians chapter 2. And then the other thing, another theological term is called the hypostatic union. And it just simply means that a mystery, but it was that God, Jesus was all God and all man. Now, we can't comprehend that because if we think uh, we were taught in school, 100% of something is all of it. But the hypostatic, hypostasis is the two, the spirit and the humanness of Jesus joining together perfectly. The only one that's ever been like that. Hypostatic union that he was all God and he was all man. We need to know that before we read in this. So in verse 1, it said, Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census would be taken. And we know that's how Joseph and Mary got back to, to Bethlehem before. And, and uh, he here, Joseph hears from God that, that's in the beginning of chapter 2, uh, go ahead and take Mary to be your wife. Uh, th that child is going to be born. And that child is from God. He was going to be born in a manger. That's all what Luke has recorded in Luke chapter 2. And then we get to verse 41. Uh, look at verse 40. The child, and your Bible, is that C capitalized? Uh, it should be because that's the child is talking about Jesus and it should be recognizing that he, it is about him and not just an ordinary child. The child continued to grow and become strong increasing in wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Now normally you don't think about a baby, a toddler, a young person before they become a teenager being too wise, do you? I wasn't. I don't know if you can remember, but uh, ask me when I'm 10 about some things and I wouldn't spout a lot of wisdom to you. But this scripture says here, he was increasing in wisdom. You may say, how does that happen? If he's God and he's all wise, how does he increase? We've got to realize that Jesus came to live as a human too. This is the human side of Jesus that is learning about what the Father's will is for him. He's going through things and learning like you and I learn. In fact, if you really want to be blown away, there's a verse that says Jesus learned obedience through the things which he suffered. He learned obedience. He's perfect obedience. He had to learn it like you and I do. So it says he's increasing in verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. These are Jesus's early years. And it's important for us. We've just gone through Christmas and we celebrated his birth. Last week we talked about the testimonies of the angels glorifying God and praising. And they went out and told and the shepherds went out with, let's go back and tell everybody the good news. And when you get, got saved and when I got saved, I wanted to tell people. I wanted to tell people I'm a Christian. So it says that when they performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. The child grew to grow and became strong. 
increasing in wisdom, the, uh, the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. The Passover, if you remember, in Exodus was when uh, the children of Israel were in Egypt, still slaves. They killed the Passover lamb, put the blood over their doorpost. And the death angel, the last of the ten plagues uh, that God poured out on Egypt, when he saw the blood, that's where an Israelite family was, and he passed over, and death didn't come to that, that home. God wanted them every year to celebrate that Passover. What does that apply to you and me 2,000 years later, or 3,500 3, years later? What does it apply to us? Well, Jesus in the Old Testament, God passed over their sins. But when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus and the Father did away with our sins. He just passed over them in the Old Testament looking forward to Jesus coming. And now he has done away with our sins. You are, if you're a Christian, you are completely forgiven as though you have never sinned a sin. That is an amazing gift from God. So we got to remember that uh, uh, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, they're good Jews. Three times a year that men of the Jewish faith were to go back to uh, the certain city, back to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Tabernacles, the Pentecost, and the Passover. It got to where they were spread out all over the world, and they didn't actually a lot of times make it all three, but every male was was commanded to come back uh, at the time of Passover. Passover, when you read about it in the Bible, could talk about one day, the day of the feast, or it could talk about all eight days. And in this case, it's talking about all eight days. So it says, his parents uh, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the eight days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. I want to give you number one, first of all, in this story. Jesus was under the authority of his parents. You and I start out that way too. We're under the authority of our parents, our grandparents, guardians, someone that raised us. I have great uh, admiration for people that have been raised in, in, uh, uh, without their parents. They've been raised in, in homes sometimes that cared for them. And, and I know of, of a home uh, close to where I grew up. And many of those people that grew up in that, that home and that, that setting are fine believers today and have helped society in many, many ways. But we're under the authority of someone. Someone takes care of us. Jesus was under the authority of his parents. You and I start out that way too. We are under the authority of someone else. And then secondly, it says they took Jesus to the temple. Uh, when you are first saved, hopefully somebody gets you to go to church. We need to run to where the Bible is taught, where the Bible is read. And his parents took him back to the temple where the word of God was. That's number two. Very important that he was in sub subjection to them, submissive to his parents. And his parents were good Jews, took him to the temple where the word of God was. When he became 12, in Hebrew culture, uh, a boy became a man at 13. Yeah, think about that. <laughs> A boy became a man at 13. You've probably heard of a bar mitzvah. Bar means son of mitzvah, the commandment. So at 13, a boy should have proven himself. He had studied about the Jewish law, 
And he was able to join in the worship as a man at 13. When I was in Israel one time, we heard this in, in the old Jerusalem city. I, I saw and heard a great big commotion. There was a parade coming down. And I have pictures of it I could show you. And it was a young, young boy's bar mitzvah. And they had a parade. They were blowing a shafar, those trumpets. They were dancing. They were dressed in beautiful robes and clothes. The dad was there. The mom was there. One, uh, maybe an uncle or something, was carrying the boy part of the time on his shoulders. They were celebrating this boy turning 13 and becoming a Jewish man. I asked our guide, do they mind if I take a picture? They said, no, they would love it. They want the whole world to join in this celebration. It's a big, big deal. So Jesus is 12. That's the, the last year of his preparation. He's getting a lot of crash course, boot camp to become a man at 13. So it says, when it became 12, they took him there. They took him back to the temple. They're going to celebrate the Passover. When he was 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Um, sometimes we overlook uh, Jesus in our life a little bit and... Um, Jesus just stays behind. Did you ever stay behind somewhere when your parents took you? I had a friend that they went to a prison rodeo one time and, and the child got lost. That's really not a good place to get lost at a prison rodeo. Have you ever gotten lost or some of you, maybe your child at the grocery store? What did you feel like as a parent? It, it hits your stomach, that, that feeling of, oh no. Right now, we have to be so careful in the world we live in because they're ungodly, wicked people that are ready to do such great harm. Jesus stayed behind. Now, it wasn't like it is today. I grew up still, I'm old enough to where we, didn't leave, we left our keys in the car and didn't lock our home. I didn't live in a big city. I know that's different uh, where you were raised, but we're not in that world anymore. But Jesus was probably with relatives, cousins, and aunts and uncles, and all kinds of people. When they traveled, they traveled together, like in a caravan, a group. So he just kind of got lost. Now, I've got to ask you that question. Was Jesus lost? No, the Son of God was not lost. <laughs> one man asked me one time, how would you like to be Mary and Joseph and have to admit you lost the Son of God? Uh, that's really not the case. He's not lost, but he got a little uh, left behind. His parents were unaware of it. I wrote in my notes, did you ever do anything your parents were unaware of? Don't tell me. <laughs> Our daughter's 27. I saw a paper she wrote for school, and the teacher had her write the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I saw the paper. You know what she put for the worst thing she did? I pray it's the worst thing she did. <laughs> She and our neighbor snuck out in the middle of the night and went to the donut shop early in the morning, two blocks away. When I read that, I said, oh, dear Jesus, please let that be the worst thing she ever did growing up. But Jesus stayed, and, and his parents didn't know they were unaware of it. But supposing him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey, they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. They probably at dinner time, where's Jesus? Have y'all seen Jesus? Is he with cousin, uh, you know, is he with somebody of the family? Now they had gone a day out of the city. You don't get very far traveling on foot. 
And they realize that Jesus wasn't there, so they're going to come back a day to get back to the city, and they're going to look for him on the third day. It says in verse 45, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple. And I want you to, number three, what was Jesus doing? It says he was sitting. He was sitting. When we first get saved, we don't walk up to the pulpit. Now, I'm not any better than you. The only difference in me and you right now is I'm standing up. But I've been privileged to share the gospel for over 40 years, and I counted a privilege. Every time I walk in this pulpit, I did it sitting right over there. Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I'm not worthy. You speak through your Bible tonight. But I have no greater joy than to share the Scripture. There's nothing that thrills. This is my Super Bowl right here, to be able to share the gospel and the message of Jesus. But I had to sit for a lot of years. How about you? When, first you, when you first get saved, we just need to sit. We don't run up and say, oh, yeah, Tommy Nelson's a pastor, but I think I'm going to take his place today. No, we don't do that. We do like Jesus did. And the third thing there, he was under subjection with family. His family took him to, the word, to where the word was at. And number three was, he started out sitting. The early years of Jesus, he gives us the example, started out sitting. But not long after, what happened? Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening, that's number four, we sit, and then we start listening. My mother took me to church when I was six. We had bulletins. Anybody have bulletins? They're programs that were handouts. And they gave us a pen. So we drew all those bulletins and we color in the B's and the D's. Did you do that? Some of you did. You know what I found out? I found out that children hear a lot more than we realize they do. They can be doodling and drawing pictures. And I keep those things for my children. I've got, I've got things they drew when they were little kids in church. I love it. But I also know God was doing something in that place. And when I look out here and I see moms and dads, grandparents with young children, they're going to be in the church their whole lives. Uh, let them doodle. Let them write on the page. But God's working in their life, and they're hearing a lot more. He started out sitting, and then it says listening. That's number four. And then what's number five? And asking them questions. Do you see that same thing happens in our life? We start out sitting. Then we start listening. And then we start asking questions. Same thing happened to me. Mama, what does that mean when the preacher said baptism? What is baptism? What is communion? Who was Samuel? And we start asking questions. And that's how we grow. Somebody answers them for us and they teach us. And they pour into us. Verse 47. And all who heard him were amazed at his, number six, understanding. Isn't that something? He was in subjection with his parents. They brought him to where the word of God was at. They found him sitting, listening, asking, and then understanding. I remember going to my mom one day, and uh, I said, I've tried to read some of the Old Testament. I don't understand one word of it. You know, and I think she just smiled at me and told me to get back over there in the Gospels. You know, That's where I need to be. 
I remember those days. I could open up the Old Testament and it was just like there was a lock on it. I couldn't understand anything that was going on because God wanted me to learn about Jesus. He wanted me to learn about the new walk that he had started in my life. That's what Jesus has given us the example for. He's sitting and listening, but, but he's the son of God, so he starts asking good questions. You know, you always heard there's no stupid question. There are some stupid questions, aren't there? If you're a teacher, you have to admit, there's some stupid questions out there. But it's okay to ask them if you really need to know the answer. I was the kind that in school I sat back and I wouldn't ever ask the question because I didn't want to know somebody to know that I needed a, an answer. That's so foolish. It's good to ask questions. That's how we learn and that's how we grow. So Jesus, he was sitting, listening, asking, and then it says they were amazed at his understanding. Sometimes we have young people and we call that are very skilled, maybe a musician, an athlete, and we call them child prodigies because it's just evident God's given them a gift and they excel early in life. And we go, ooh, and ah, and wow, how can they do that at eight years old? And maybe it's dance recital for someone or whatever it is. We call them a child prodigy. I don't believe there's ever a child prodigy like Jesus. Because he's not only sitting, listening, asking good questions, he understands what all those doctors of the law are teaching at 12. How much did you understand at 12? Look with me. It says, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding. I believe those guys are just sitting there. Did you hear him? Look at him. Did you hear what he said? Did, did you hear the answer he gave? I've been trying to get all these Jewish men to answer that for months. And here's a 12-year-old that's answering all these questions that we are throwing out here. I think those guys must have been just truly amazed. He was sitting in the midst of the teachers, listening, asking, understanding. And it says, all who heard him, verse 47, were amazed at his understanding. You know how that is? When you're reading God's word and something just clicks, you, you get it. It's like somebody turns a light on and, and you've never seen that before. And I think that's what Jesus is showing right here, his understanding. He's learning as a human about his understanding and wisdom that God's given him. And it said, when they saw him, oh, what, by the way, they were amazed at his understanding. And look at the last of verse 47 and his, what's that word? His answers. That's number seven. His answers. As we grow in Christ, we start out just sitting. We better listen. We need to learn a lot. It's okay to ask good questions. Then God lets us start understanding. And then as we grow in the Lord, we know some of the answers. When they ask questions, I know, I know, I know. We studied that last, last week in Bible study. I know the answer. And it's good to grow. And that's what you and I need to do. We, we've got some of the answers. I want to tell you, the world doesn't have those answers, and they need them. So it says, they were amazed at him and his answers. Verse 48, when they saw him, that's number eight. When we truly come to know Christ, we look different. I asked a man this morning about his testimony, and he had been a football player at TCU, a big guy. He had been a coach all of his life, and 
He's going to share his testimony, hopefully in a class that I teach on Sunday mornings. But he told me, he said, uh, uh, I think it was Tommy somewhere teaching in, in, at a place, and he mentioned his name. And he said, I want you to know my friend, and he called his name. Well, after the, the, the uh, or even during that, that time when Tommy was speaking, this man stood up and said, if you're talking about this man who played football at TCU, he is certainly not going to be talking about Jesus somewhere. But he does because he got saved and his life dramatically changed. And see, that's what happens in our life. They can see something different. There's something different about you. You don't go the same places anymore. You don't think the same. You don't talk the same. You don't do some of the same thing. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But we were blind and now we see. Can your neighbors see something different in you? Do you have some family members that see something different in you? Now, they may not accept, not accept it right now, but definitely they can see something different, can't they? So here it says, when they saw him, they were, we, uh, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. I want you to notice that father starts with that with a little F. Who are they, who are they talking about? She was talking about Joseph. Uh, Jesus could have said, no, my father knows exactly where I am because my father's in heaven. But certainly a mother was concerned about her child. Your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And then verse 49, and he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know? Mary, did you know? That ought to be a song. Somebody ought to write that. Did you not know, mom? that I had to be in my father's house. When, uh, when someone truly is, becomes a Christian, God has placed inside of each one of you here today a gift, at least one spiritual gift if you're saved. You may have more than one. But he's placed inside of you talents and abilities also. You have uniquely given gifts from God that he wants you to use in the service for his church and your family and in, 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 uh, in the world that we live in. These things that we're able to do are not because we're smart or we practice hard. It is their gifts from God. And I want to ask you your question. Uh, again, I do this often. I use bad grammar, but I think it's good theology. What can you not not do? I know if there's an English teacher here tonight, that's a double negative and it's just terrible to use those. But what can you not not do? In other words, what do you just have to do? If I talk to one of your friends and they haven't seen you in a long time, well, I don't know what she's doing, but wherever she is, she's going to be doing this because that's the way God made her. What can you not not do? How you're wired, how you're gifted. What would you say about me, those of you who know me? Well, I don't know where Mike's at or what he's doing, but I know one thing, he'll be doing this because that's the way God made him. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. Did you know that I must be about my father's business? And all of us here tonight as believers, Christians, we've got to be about the father's business also. We need to do what he's made us to do. When I heard uh, our young lady singing beautiful voices a moment ago, all of you musicians are good, but it wasn't that just real pretty to hear her clear, distinct uh, female voice that was the leading us in that song. So pretty. That's a gift from God. And wherever she goes the rest of her life, she may do all kinds of other things, 
But when we think of her, she's probably going to be singing for Jesus because I must be about my father's business. And that's what Jesus told his mama. A shepherd, uh, Spurgeon, one of the great preachers of the past said, a shepherd, talking about a, um, a pastor, a shepherd is born on purpose to care for people and cannot rest till he cares for people. Because that's the way God made him. If you locked me up at home and put me in, in my room and said you can't be around people and you can't tell them about Jesus and you can't sing and worship, I would just, I would lose it. I don't know what would happen. Because I'm made a certain way. You're made a certain way. And you are just as valuable. Your testimony is just as valuable as everyone else's. Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. Your testimony is very important. I must be about my father's business. And then number 10, but they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. I want to tell you, you need to be ready to be misunderstood. If you're going to walk with Christ and follow him, there are going to be times sometimes when you have to do something, people are going to look at you and say, what? You're going to do what? Why are you going to do that? There's going to be family members that don't understand. As you make choices to live as a believer, they don't understand. Just have patience with them. They, they can't understand until they come to know Jesus too. But we need to be ready to be misunderstood. We have on all of our coins, in God we trust. They're trying to take that off. Did you know that? They made a quarter and took it off of there. And now they made some other coins where the uh, face, you look for them, where the face that's on the coin used to look toward in God we trust. Now they've turned that face to look away from God. Did you know that? Get ready. Because the unbelievers are, are, they're loud. And they're, they're strong. And they're intent. Because their consciences are hurting them. I had a man, I don't think he would mind me sharing this. You have no idea who it is, it is but um, his son is a, a, a humble, intelligent, works in corporate America. He, would, he was bringing uh, Chick-fil-A food to four young ladies there that work in, like receptionists in the office, and he wanted to, to just bless them and bring them some food. And, and those four young uh, ladies said to him, they know he's a very kind, nice man. Why are you bringing us this hate food? And I thought, what in the world? Chick-fil-A, first of all, have you been to a Chick-fil-A and seen the lines? They, from daylight to dark, they, there's lines through there all the time. Uh, God's blessing that business, I believe, in a lot of ways. They don't open on Sunday. I was out of town going to a conference one time, and I pulled in looking for a Chick-fil-A, and I realized I, it was Sunday morning, and I couldn't get my sandwich. Praise the Lord. But they said, why are you bringing us that hate food? Because they were all four lesbians who reject God's word. I don't hate somebody that chooses. I love them. I love them enough to tell them the truth. Like somebody who's a gambler or somebody who's an adulterer or somebody who's a thief or somebody who's a murderer. I love them too. I don't love what they do. And they shouldn't love what I do that's wrong either. And don't let anybody tell you that's a cultural thing. That's not a cultural thing. God's word proves that it is for all times, and he tells us that. But they said, hate food. That man was kind 
We've got to be ready to be misunderstood. There was a man who, who had, and his wife had invited a, a woman who chose that lifestyle into their home for 1,000 meals. And they just loved her and were kind to her, fed her, enjoyed her company and she theirs. And she came to know Christ and she left that sinful lifestyle and was born again and changed. And she said, I was at their table for a thousand meals. And they didn't mistreat me. They loved me. When my son was in college at a Christian school down south of Dallas, he called me and he said, Dad, my, one of my roommates, they have about five or ten. I don't know how many they put in those, those dorm rooms. But um, he said, one of my roommates says he's an atheist. And I said, son, uh, if he has questions and he really wants to know answers, let us know, and we'll find the answers. I may not know them. I'll find somebody that does. We'll give him Bible, but I'll tell you what. You could probably give him all the answers out of the Bible, and that's not going to change his life. Just love him to death. Just love him so much in the love of Christ that he cannot stand it, and he has to have what you have in, his, in your life. And that's what we got to do. Somebody walking in open sin, we don't take a Bible and beat, beat them over the head. Jesus didn't do that to us. But he speaks and he eats with sinners and publicans. And yeah, Jesus said the sick need a physician. And that's what he came to do to heal us. And we were all sick. We were all sick. So be ready to be misunderstood. Don't think it's strange if somebody doesn't understand. Just pray for them. Love them. Because I want to tell you what, it's a sweet day, and I'll go fast. It's a sweet day when somebody rejects the gospel. They say no to you. I don't want to hear your message. And you just treat them with kindness and love. Do whatever you have to. Do it in God's will. But pray for them. And then one day you see them walking up to you. And they look different. And they come and say, can I talk to you? And you say, absolutely. And they say, I want to apologize to you. And you say, you don't have to apologize to me for anything. No, I want I, didn't, I wasn't kind to you. I wasn't nice to you. And I said things I shouldn't have. But I've come to know Jesus. Or I need what you have. I want to tell you what, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. I had a man who, if he could, he would have bitten my head off one day. Literally. He would have. He was furious at me. Because I was being kind to a woman. And her little children. And he wanted to be put in front of her. Didn't care about her. I said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'll help you, but I will not put you in front of this lady. He spun out. He just, oh, he was furious. Can you imagine what I thought about several years later and I looked up and the back door of the church opened when I'm standing in the pulpit and here he comes walking in? I thought, is he still mad after all these years? He's coming to get me. He sat down. Came back to church the next week, came back to church the next week. He ended up joining the church. I said, I'm so glad you're here. He came to me one day and he said, you know why I'm here? I said, I hope God drew you to the church. He said, yes, but do you know how? I said, I don't know. He said, you remember that day when I got mad at you? And I said, yes, I do. He said, you didn't get mad back. And I said, I wanted to. But I want to tell you the difference with Jesus. He said, I know, and that's why I'm here. And he became a strong member of the church that was a servant and kind where he hadn't been kind to anyone before. I want to tell you something. It's worth it. If they laugh at you today, if they don't listen, if they reject, whatever they do, it's worth it when you get that phone call 
can I talk to you? When they walk up to you and you see that now they're a brother and a sister in Christ and you can put their arms around them. I just preached something years ago in the church that I pastored before. I said, what are you going to do when the person is the last person on this, the face of the earth walks through that door and comes to church with us? I just preached that. And I looked up and lo and behold, there was another guy that walked through there. And he was on my list. He would have been one of the last people in the world I expect to walk through that door. And I just preached that. God has a way of testing us, doesn't he? And I remember I ran right to him and I put my hand out. I said, I'm so glad you're here. So be ready to be misunderstood. It's worth it for the cause of Christ. And then real quickly, that was number 10. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in heart. Jesus was a good child. He stayed in subjection unto his parents. Now, all of us need to be in subjection. We need to trust the police. Some of them are, are, are not good, but most of them are all right. We need to be thankful for them and to encourage them. We need to trust our teachers. Some of them are not good, but most of them can be used in our lives, and we need to accept that. We need to trust our church, and we need to trust a, uh, many different people. We are under the authority. I've told you the story before of a man who got so upset growing up, he couldn't, could not stand somebody telling him what to do. He said, I can't stand my parents telling me what to do. I went to school, and those teachers tried to tell me what to do, and I can't stand it. Uh, the police in my town, they try to tell me what to do, and I can't stand it, so I just went and joined the Marine Corps. We are all going to be under the authority of somebody. And Jesus stayed under the authority and subjection. And then finally, and Jesus kept increasing. Are you growing in Jesus? That's number 12. Are you growing? You ought to not be the same as you were last year. You ought to know more. You ought to be closer to Christ. You ought to be more obedient, more loving, more kind. All those fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You ought to have more of those than you had a year ago. Can we look in the mirror and find out, you know, I haven't grown very much. Well, don't beat yourself up. Just get going. Get with people who pull you up instead of pull you down. And then finally, it said Jesus kept increasing. Number 12, you and I need to increase. In wisdom, that's number 13. Wisdom is not just information. It's using knowledge you get for God's purpose, wisdom and stature. Jesus grew physically, but he grew emotionally too. He grew up like you and I do as a young child growing to be a man or a woman. And then finally, it says number 15, he grew in favor. Favor means your life is pleasing. It pleases God. And as you walk in, in, in the faith, your life should grow in the favor of God, that you know God's happy with you. And the last one, uh, favor with God and men. Your life ought to be a blessing to other people. You ought to be a blessing to other people because you're growing in Jesus. And then finally, number 16, uh, in favor with God and men, there's evidence Evidence, there's proof that you're a believer and you're not the same anymore. So let me run through them real quickly. Jesus started out under the care of his parents. He was in place where the word of God was in the temple. He started out sitting, listening, asking questions, understanding, answering. He was seen 
There was a difference that they could see. He had a passion. I had to be about my father's business. He had a calling, a gifting, and you and I have that too. He was misunderstood. You and I will be misunderstood sometimes in our lives too. But he remained subject under the authority above him. He was increasing in wisdom and stature and favor. And there was evidence people could see his life changing. And they need to see our life changing also. That's some of the early years of Jesus' life. A 12-year-old boy on the way to becoming a 13-year-old Jewish man on the way to becoming the Savior of all mankind. I believe we go through that same discipleship uh, list right there that Jesus showed us in that example. So those are some of the early years of Jesus. Can you remember your early years when you first got saved? We're going to have communion in a moment. And I remember wanting to take communion when I was a little boy. My mother would actually bake unleavened bread at our home. And she would make it, take it to the church. And that's what we would break and use for communion. And, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand. I thought it was grape juice and a cracker. And I wanted that. But our church was careful to teach us. It's not just for somebody to take, just to be eating. And uh, that's what we're about to do now. We're going to follow the instructions that the Apostle Paul gave us. And one of the first things as we come to the communion table, uh, the Bible says to examine yourself. So, uh, Tony, if you want to come forward, and I'd love for him to play while we're doing this, to examine ourselves. In other words, to pray. And ask the Lord to prepare our heart. When you sit down for a meal, I hope you, you pray. Our little grandson, I'll do this. Let's pray. And he'll look at me and put his hands together. And you talk about Papa being thrilled. Put his hands together and, and uh, we're going to say, thank you, Jesus, for this food. And he's looking at me out of one eye like that, you know, like, what are you doing? And I love it. We need to start with prayer. And so the Bible says that we don't need to come to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. And what that means for us here tonight, you may not be a member of Denton Bible Church. This could be the very first time you're here. Again, we're so grateful you're here. But if you are a Christian, you're our brother and our sister, and we invite you to partake with us. If you're not a Christian yet, that's okay. Please let the cup and the bread go by you and don't partake of it because it is for believers. If your heart is right with Jesus tonight, and that's what we're going to pray in just a moment before these men uh, serve us the elements. Would you look inside your heart and I'll look in mine? I'm going to have a few moments of silent prayer and then I'll pray leading us. Let's bow. <clears throat> Father in heaven, as we bow before you now, entering into this time of communion, we ask you to forgive us of every sin. As David prayed, wash me and make me clean. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Dear Jesus, would you make sure my heart is right? Would you do that for everyone in this room? And fathers, we're served here in a moment these elements, I want to thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for his body that was given in our place. We thank you for the blood that he shed that was payment for our sin.
And as you're bowed right now with your eyes closed and your heart before the Lord, as you're served the, the bread and the cup here tonight, would you personally thank Jesus for giving his life on the cross of Calvary for you? If you were the only one that had ever lived, he would still have done it for you. So would you thank him personally? And now, Father, we ask you to bless this bread. As Jesus taught us in, in his doctrine, that he's the true bread which has come down from heaven. Please bless it now as he asks you to bless it that night. In Jesus' name.